Matthew chapter number 20. Stand with me as we read our text, verses 20 through verse number 28. Matthew 20 and verse number 20. Maybe this is a 2020 vision sermon today, huh? Nope. Well, pun intended. Matthew 20, 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, we are able, if I could pause right there, obviously in this text, baptism means more than just one thing in the Bible. So often false religions and even Baptists, when they see the word baptism, they just assume that it's something that takes place in a baptistry behind this screen. We fill it with water, we baptize believers and so forth. That's not what it's talking about here. The term baptism means an immersion. Jesus is talking about his uh, future being immersed in suffering at the cross of Calvary. And so he says, are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they didn't know what he was talking about. They, oh, of course. Sure we are, Lord. And so he goes on and he says in verse 23, and he said unto them, ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. And when the ten heard it, that's the other ten, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know not, or ye, ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. So Jesus is using what they're experiencing with the Roman occupation. The Romans had basically by force taken over the nation of Israel. They were under Roman governor, uh, government and oppression. And so he's using this as an example of human nature. We are all competitive by nature. We want to win. We want to dominate. We, we don't want to be at the bottom. We want to be at the top. And Jesus is saying, this is what these two brethren, they're having to go through all of that. And, and of course, he, he left out the fact that, hey, the ten that are complaining here, you're under the same, you're having to deal with the same problems, the same issues. But he says in verse number 26, once again, it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That last word of verse number 27 is the word servant. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning is the term servant, our forgotten identity. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for 
being our Savior. Thank you for being our Lord, our King. Thank you for the example that you set as a servant. And Lord, for this lesson that you taught all 12 of your disciples about ministry, about being a servant. And Lord, we have so many rich things as believers, so many things that you say that we are. And yet, one of our main things of identity is being a servant. And Lord, this is a forgotten characteristic, a forgotten adjective, a forgotten identity. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us all to see it from the Scripture. As always, we pray for each and every one listening, if there be someone here that's lost. Lord, being a servant is not their concern. Being, being saved is what they need to worry about. And we thank you, Lord, that you died on the cross for our sins. And Lord, that soul that is without Jesus Christ, we pray that you'd speak to their heart. May they be saved before they leave this building today. And for all that are here that are saved, children of God, help us, Lord, to remember and to reintroduce this identity into our lives and to see ourselves the way that you want us to see ourselves. Help this message to accomplish what you'd Uh, see fit to accomplish through it. Help us to communicate clearly. Bless us with the power of God for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We, We really don't use the term servant much today. Uh, probably the closest that we come to it is when we go to a restaurant, we call them the server. It used to be waiter and waitress, but of course, anything that has any gender identity, our culture doesn't want that anymore, and so they're all just called servers. But we don't see the word servant. We have employees, but we don't have servants. But it is a very biblical term. It is so biblical that it appears well over 500 times in the Bible. The first mention of servant is in Genesis 9 verse 25. It says, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. I don't have time to get into what, uh, what initiated that curse, but certainly a servant of servants, this was a negative thing, and certainly being a servant was nothing that we naturally aspire to. But if you read a little bit further in the book of Genesis, in chapter 18 and verse number 3, you see the first mention of servant in more of a positive way. Here Abraham is entertaining the Lord and those angels that the Lord's getting ready to send those angels to Sodom and to see if, there's, if it's as wicked as what the stench that's coming up to the Lord's nostrils. The Lord is giving due diligence The Lord's not saying, I don't really know what's going on. He's doing all of this for man's sake, so that Abraham understands what God's getting ready to do. And so the Lord and these angels show up, and it says in chapter 18, verse 3, and and Abraham, he said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight... uh, uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm saying it right. Pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. So Abraham calls himself the Lord's servant. And forgive me, I got confused there for a minute because there's also a verse just a few chapters later when Lot refers to himself as a servant to the angels that visit Sodom and 
They're basically getting ready to pull Lot and his family, whoever will go, out of that wicked, perverse place because God's getting ready to destroy it with fire and brimstone. But in both of those cases, we find the first positive use of the term servant in the Bible where Abraham and Lot both refer to themselves as servants. Abraham to God, Lot to God's angels. In fact, there are many characters in the Bible who refer to themselves as servants. Many are referred to as servants by God himself. Over 30 times, Moses is referred to as, listen to this, Moses, the servant of the Lord. That's God saying of Moses that basically he's saying, Moses is my servant. Uh, God calls Joshua the servant of Moses. And then after Moses is gone, the Lord refers to Joshua the same way that he referred to Moses and calls him the servant of the Lord. Now there's a, certainly a lesson in spiritual leadership there. A lot of people want to be leaders, but the best way to be a leader is to be a servant. That's how you learn to lead, by the way, is by being a servant to a leader. Israel is often called God's servant. Even a pagan king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar is referred to as a servant of God. Now, not in the sense that we need to be servants of God. Not in the sense that Moses was the servant of God. Moses was the servant of God because his entire life was dedicated to serving the Lord. But God called Nebuchadnezzar his servant. Why? Because God had a job for Nebuchadnezzar to do. And Nebuchadnezzar, knowingly or unknowingly, accomplished what God wanted him to accomplish. And of course, the most, most notable servant in the Bible, we know who that is. That's Jesus Christ. In Matthew 12, verse number 18, you have Jesus. He sitting in the synagogue as just a young man, and he opens up the Bible, and he reads from the book of Isaiah. And in Matthew 12, 18, it says, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he, he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. And then, of course, it goes on to say the, the preaching and the ministry style of Jesus. It says, a bruised uh, uh, reed shall he not, or uh, anyhow, moving on, right on along. He's not going to be yelling and screaming like John the Baptist did. He's just going to be speaking quietly in the street. That's what Isaiah prophesied. And when Jesus read that, he told those in the synagogue, he said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. So Jesus understood that he was uh, the servant of God. My first point here this morning is this, and you saw it in our, the title of the message, and that is, a servant should be a major part of our identity. Turn back to Matthew chapter number 10. Our identity. Uh, there's a, a lot being said in our culture today about identity. One thing I know, and I, please forgive me, I'm not trying to sound psychological. But this is just an absolute truth, though. 
that we're all going to behave consistently with the way that we perceive ourselves. And a good, healthy self-awareness and the way that we see ourselves, we need to see ourselves the way that God sees us and the way that God wants us to see ourselves. When we do that, then we're going to be more prone toward having the behavior that God wants us to have. But if you see yourself in a different light, then your behavior is always going to be connected to your identity. Matthew 10 and verse number 24 The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed or hid that shall not be known." All right, so the Lord says here that as servants, we're not better than him. And you know, I look at modern Christianity today and this mega church movement and all of what we see in quote unquote contemporary Christianity. And I see a group of people that are very Laodicean. And we fit the description as a general rule of the church of Laodicea. And we're rich and increased with goods and the Christian life is not about any suffering or any servitude, but it's all about God blessing. You know, some of the the most well-known, wealthy, prosperous, large congregations in this country are the ones who preach or teach some form of message that says, if you'll do what you're supposed to do, then God will bless you. You'll be wealthy, you'll be healthy, and you'll be happy. As if the number one thing that God is concerned about is our happiness. Listen, folks, I'm not saying God is not concerned with our happiness. But I am saying that from a scriptural standpoint, God is way more concerned with our holiness than he is with our happiness. And if you're a child of God and the Spirit of God lives inside of you, that's the only way that we will be happy is if we are being holy. How we see ourselves is often molded by how others see us. But it should not be so. Jesus is saying right here, he said, if they called the master Beelzebub, don't you think they're going to call you something worse? And that's the truth. He's preparing his disciples that, look, you you think that you're something special because you're the disciples of me and I'm King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Look at how they're treating me. You think that they're going to treat you any better? It's not going to happen. And so, folks, we have to be careful that we don't allow what others think of us to mold our identity. Listen, we deal with identity theft in modern culture all the time. Somebody's hacking into your account or hacking into your social media, hacking into this, trying to steal your information and take advantage of that. We deal with that technologically speaking almost every day. But I'm telling you, the devil has stolen God's people's identity in numerous ways. Probably one of the, we can talk about all of the negatives of social media, you know, selfies all the time. Everything is about getting attention. 
I, I, I'm glad I don't, I don't go on social media. We use it for live stream. We use it for ministry purposes. But listen, I, I couldn't handle going through all of, you know, seeing what everybody's posting and what everybody's doing. Maybe I'm just not a caring pastor because I don't care. <laughs> if I want to talk to you, I want to talk to you. If I want to know what's going, if you want me to know what's going on in your life, don't post it on Facebook. Because most of that is not social. Most of it is attention. And most of it is marketing a persona and trying to get people to think of me in a certain way. You know what Jesus is telling his disciples? Don't worry about what people think of you. Just worry about what my father thinks of you. That's all that Jesus did. Jesus never worried about what anybody thought of him. He only worried about what God thought of him. We're living in a generation, a culture of identity thieves. Uh, we are supposed to be servants but the devil has figured out a way to take that away from our Christian identity. Folks, we need to get it back. We need to remember that we are servants. Now, servant is an adjective of adjectives. Uh, we talk about servant leaders. And that's not a contradiction of terms. How can you be a leader and still be a servant? Well, it's really simple. It's the same way that Jesus has instructed his disciples the same way our opening text was. The Lord says, if you want to be great, then you're going to have to be the servant. You're going to have to minister to other people. That's what God is valuing. John 15 and verse number 14, Jesus said, now watch this. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. How about that? <laughs> I know a lot of people that friendship is that way with them. <laughs> Yeah, to think about that. I know, I know a lot of a lot of marriages that they they have um, they get along as long as you do what you're told. Listen, you're my friend, but you just better do what I tell you. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Verse fifteen: Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Jesus is saying, he's not saying that they're not servants. He's simply saying, I'm not going to view you. I'm not going to call you a servant. I'm going to call you a friend because I'm, tell, I'm being totally transparent with you. And listen, true friendship is transparency. Wouldn't you agree? Transparency requires trust. I mean, you've got to, as far as humanly speaking, Jesus never messed up. He never committed a sin. He was never a bad friend. But in our friendships, we have human weakness. And if you have a true friend, then that true friend is going to love you on your worst day, not just on your best day. That true friend is going to be okay with you even if you disagree with them, even if you don't obey them or do their commandments. But the Lord is saying here that I'm calling you more than a servant. I'm being transparent with you. And he says in verse number 17, John 15, 17, These things I command you that ye love one another. And so this concept 
of being a friend of God does not disannul the fact that we are also still servants of the Lord. We are servants, but we are also friends. How about this? In Galatians 4, verse number 1, Paul says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. We're talking about our identity here. And all of the things that God says are part of the Christian identity, that's the way we need to see ourselves. Hey, do you see yourself as a saint? You know, the world and the Catholic Church has taken that Bible word and they've redefined it. But the Bible word saint applies to everyone that's been born again. If you're saved, then you're a saint. I've heard people say, well, I'm saved, but I'm not a saint. No, you are. According to God's definition. And so a lot of times people say that as an excuse to not live up to God's expectation. God says, you're saved and you're a saint and I want you to start seeing yourself as a saint. There's a lot of things that God says about us that we're kings and we're princes and we're priests These are all things that the Bible says about the believer. We just read several others. Jesus says, you're my friend. And he says, you're my son. But the son differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. We see ourselves with the right identity, all of those things, and then it's supposed to influence and mold our behavior. Not what people think of us, but what God thinks of us. I, you know, I have a hard time with some of these, humanly speaking. I'm the Lord's friend. I'm a son of God. Uh, I'm a king. I'm a, I'm a prince. I'm, I'm all these things. I'm a saint. I know who I am. I know what I've done. I know what goes on between these ears, and those are not always easy things to accept. But if God sees me that way, then maybe I ought to just say, forget about what I think or feel, and I need to just stick with what God says. And I think we all ought to do the same thing. All right, number two, go to Matthew 24. A servant has responsibility and accountability. Now, these are two things that, just like the term and concept of being a servant, These two things are lost in modern culture as well. People don't like accountability. People certainly don't like responsibility. Uh, We hide and we run from pressure, but responsibility has pressure in it. Most people don't know how to deal with pressure. And uh, I think probably COVID didn't help us in that respect. But let's look at this, verse number 42 of Matthew 24. The Lord says, watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? There's that word servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season. 
Who is that servant that the Lord gave some responsibility to? Verse 46, blessed is that servant whom his Lord when he cometh shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming and shall begin to smite his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunken. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day that he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Certainly, without any explanation necessary, we see in this passage of Scripture, the Lord is saying, as my servants, I'm giving you responsibility and then I'm holding you accountable for what you do with what I've given you to do. Look at chapter 25 and verse number 21. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I can't think of words that I would rather hear from the Lord. I mean, there's a lot of things that the Lord says that really mean something to me. We sing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I read in the book here that the Lord loves me, and that means something to me. And I, I like it when people that I love, when you say I love you, and they say I love you too. Sometimes my wife and I will we'll just kind of banter back and forth. Uh, she'll, she'll say I love you, and I'll say I love you more. And then she'll say, I love you more, what is it? Most. That's right. That's more. And then I'll say, I love you mosterer. <laughs> you just got to make up words sometimes. I do that all the time. I, we like to hear people say things like, I love you. I appreciate you. But I can't think of anything that I'd rather hear audibly from the voice of the Lord, then well done, thou good and faithful servant. He said, thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Verse 22, he also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou hast delivered unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then when he, uh, he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid. I uh, wonder what he was afraid of. Afraid of failure? Afraid of losing? And that's something I think there's a lot of you that are listening here today that you would like to serve the Lord, but you're afraid that you're going to fail. Maybe you've tried in the past, and so you're just taking what the Lord's given you, and you're just burying it and hanging on to it. He said, I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth, and lo, there thou hast that is thine. And the Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest 
that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchanger, at least put it in the bank. Listen, savings account, especially the last 10 years, what do you get out of a savings account? Not much. I mean, I've had my savings account where I, I, I get my, um, my quarterly statement, you know, it says interest posted, 17 cents. Obviously, I don't have a lot of money. But I can remember the same amount of money 20 years ago. It's like, it would have been a buck 70, but now it's 17 cents. Nobody's getting anything out of a savings account. But you know what? 17 cents is better than nothing, right? And so the Lord's making a point. Hey, something's better than nothing. You should have at least done something with it. And so he says in verse 28, Take therefore the talent from him, and give it to him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And people would say, that's not fair. Yes, it is fair. Because that same person that had one talent, if they would have done something with it, the Lord would have said, you've been faithful with a little, I'm going to put you over many. That's the way that the Lord blesses. But he says in verse 30, And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I, I understand there are doctrinal implications of these parables that don't necessarily apply to the church, but practically speaking, we can certainly understand something about God, and that is this, we are servants, and because we are servants, He has given us responsibility, and with that responsibility comes accountability. There's going to be reward, and there's going to be suffering if we don't do what we're supposed to do with what God has entrusted us with. Luke 12, verse 47. And that servant, which knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not, and did not commit uh, things worthy of stripes, shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much shall be much required, and to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. Folks, it's all through the Bible. Servanthood means responsibility and accountability. Number three, go to Luke chapter 16, and we see that a servant must be singular-minded. Not double-minded. I, I like the word that I learned from Brother Runyon. Wishy-washy. How many of you know wishy-washy? You've heard wishy-washy. You say, what, what exactly does that mean? I don't think you need to look that up. Just the sound of the word. I, I, I was uh, in the barber shop, and there's a, there was a, uh, there's a man there that uh, barely speaks English, and so my barber was talking about it, and somehow it came up about preachers who were being, I said, wishy-washy. And 
the barber over there that didn't hardly speak English, he, he said, oh, witchy-watchy. <laughs> Anytime I hear that word wishy-washy, I think about him. It's a witchy-watchy. A servant has to be singular-minded. Luke 16 and verse number 10 says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, once again, this is a lesson that has a different meaning as well, doctrinally. And the Lord is talking about being faithful with just the unrighteous mammon, being faithful with things that aren't necessarily the things of God. If you won't be faithful with something that man entrusted you with, then why would God think that you're going to be faithful with something that he would entrust you with? You've got to be singular-minded. You can't be double-minded. Listen, you, you may think that, well, if my circumstances would change, then my behavior would change. I got news for you. Your circumstances aren't what causes your behavior. In many cases, it's your behavior that causes your circumstances. In Galatians 1, verse number 10, Paul says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. You can't say I'm a servant of Christ and then live your life just trying to please everybody else. The people trap will snap and destroy you. That snare of people pleasing will just strangle you and choke your life. Listen, I, I think that a servant has to have a servant's heart. That's a desire to please. But a servant, a servant's heart does not mean that you feel like that you have to please everybody. I got news for you. You're not going to be able to make everybody happy. Someone's going to love you and appreciate you. Someone is going to not. Someone's going to despise you. Someone, listen, you can do one thing and somebody over here is going to praise you for it. Somebody over here is going to criticize you for it. Hey, how many times I've had, listen, I have had times in the same sermon, the same thing that I said, that two different people talked to me, was criticizing what I said, the same thing. And one people, one person was upset that I said it, and the other was upset that I didn't say it strong enough. Listen, I, I've had people in, in a two-week period of time leave the church because I was too harsh on things, and then the other person because I was too liberal and too lenient. And sometimes you just scratch your head and you just go, you know what, I'm not going to be able to please everyone, and so I better just get my heart and my mind in the Bible 
and figure, I better try to please the Lord. Listen, if, you're ha- if I'm trying to please the Lord and you're happy with it, praise the Lord. That's icing on the cake. That's fellowship. That's, one, that's just a, a good feeling. But when it's all said and done, none of that is going to matter. Man's approval is not what we should be seeking. We should be seeking God's. John 8, verse 34, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Listen, if you've got sin in your life and you're claiming to be saved, you can't be a servant of God and a servant of sin. He says, The servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Sin will enslave you. Sin, when sin says jump, if you're the servant of sin, you say how high. But Jesus came to deliver you from sin, and He will if you'll quit being so double-minded and so wishy-washy and say, you know what? I'm saved. I put my faith... Isn't it crazy to say, I'm trusting Jesus to get me to heaven, but I can't trust Him for anything that goes on in my life today? You know what that is? That's insanity. That's insanity. If He can get me to heaven, certainly He can get me through this day. Don't be a servant of sin. Romans 6 verse 16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey... His servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were, past tense, the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness." And so to be a servant, you've got to be singular-minded. My last point, number four, is a servant has no expectations other than to serve. Look at Luke 17 and verse number seven. The Lord says, but which of you having a servant plowing or feeding cattle will say unto him by and by when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet? And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commended, commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. A true servant, a servant's heart, does not have a bunch of expectations. For sake of time, John 13, verse 13 through 17. If you look at verse 17, all of these things, some of this is repetitious. In verse 17, the Lord says, if ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. And then John 15 and verse number 20, and we'll conclude after this. The Lord says, remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep 
yours also. I can remember as a young servant of God, a young preacher, I just thought that, you know, people are going to see what God's done in my life and they're just going to want to do the same thing that I did. And the Lord made it clear here, look, if they reject you, it's probably because they rejected me. A lot of times we take things personal when we ought not. If people, if you're following the Lord and you're trying to get other people to follow the Lord, if they want to follow the Lord, they will. But too often we put ourselves too much out there and we take it personal and we need to not have any expectation other than just simply pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ. In conclusion, I want to say this, being a servant is a matter of choice. In Exodus 21 and verse number 5, no need to turn there. But in the law, Moses is giving the children of Israel this concept. And back in the Old Testament, they didn't have bankruptcy and systems like that. We have certain laws that if you can't pay your debts, then you file for bankruptcy and so forth. In Bible days, you didn't do that. If you couldn't pay your debts, you had to sell yourself as a servant, as a slave. And if that person owned you, you had to work for them. And anything that you produced belonged to the person that owned you. Even if you had kids, if you had children, got married, and you did all that while you were a servant, your kids and your wife literally belonged to the person that owned you. And the Lord gave some laws, some rules, that if someone paid their debt, and they finished up the years of servitude, and it was time where they're free to go. They had an option, and in the text there, and you can read this in Exodus 21, the servant basically says, you know what? I love my master, and this has been good to serve him. I love my wife and my children. I love everything that I've gained while being the servant of this master. I want to stay. I don't want to leave. I don't want to go free. I want to be your servant forever. And you know what they do? They take a, a sharp awl and they would drive the earlobe into the door of the master's house. I'm sure there are a lot of symbolisms in all of that. But the fact of the matter is, is that was a permanent gesture. It was something that outwardly showed of something that was in the heart of this servant. Being a servant is a matter of choice. If a man could serve a master out of debt and decide that, you know what? This is my life's better as a servant than it was when I was free. Maybe as children of God, friends of the Lord sons of God, servants of God, maybe we need to understand that our life would be much better as a life of servitude for the Lord Jesus Christ than feeling like, because that's all it is, is a feeling, feeling like I'm my own man out there serving the world. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.19, he said, for though I be free from all men, Yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. He made a choice 
to be a servant. Being a servant is indeed a matter of choice. I made that choice nearly 40 years ago when I bowed at my bed and I said, Lord, I am presenting my body, my life as a living sacrifice to you. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. And for the last 39 years, that's the way that I've lived my life. And you know what? I cringe to think how horrible my life would be if I hadn't have made that decision. I know my life was heading in a bad direction. You may be here today and maybe your life isn't heading toward destruction. But I also want to remind you, you don't want to get at the end of your life and say, you know what? I just wasted it. I could have had so much more. I could have been so much more for my Savior if I would have just made the choice to be His servant. Whatever you are and whatever you do, add servant to it. That's what Jesus did. Will you make a decision today to be a servant of the Lord?